Welcome to Beyond Bitcoin, a podcast about all things digital assets, the global communities they are creating, the generations that are using and investing in them, and the challenges faced by the nations that are seeking to regulate them. The content of this program is not to be taken as investment advice. My name is Derek Graham. I'm the CEO of Portal Asset Management, and my co-host is Nitin Gower, Director of IBM Digital Assets and CTO of Portal. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Welcome along, of course, to Beyond Bitcoin. And today we've got a couple of very interesting topics and, as normal, shared with my great friend and colleague, Nitin Gower. Hi, Nitin, how are you going? Hey, Derek, good to see you again. Where are you? Looks like it's evening time and I love the thing outside your window. Where are you this week? True. So this time I'm traveling and I've attended a conference over here in Sydney. So this is Sydney in the background here at nighttime. Um, and it's been a very interesting conference and one I thought I would share a little bit about this morning before we get onto the juicy topic of metaverse and DeFi, which is what we're going to do. So would you give me two minutes because okay. I'm going to do a giveaway here. And that is that I've just attended the AFR, the Australian Financial Review Conference, uh, crypto conference, um, and at a cost of about $1,000. So for all of those listeners, I'm going to give you the four takeaways for that $1,000. And I've just saved you an entire day of sitting in the conference and $1,000 on the way through. Um, that is a bargain, Derek. That is a bargain. It, it is a bargain, <laughs> exactly. But the four takeaways are quite good because they're an indication. They're like a timeline of where we're up to. And because we've been in this space a while, you know, we've seen these events occur where you know, it's challenging to talk about this space. It's challenging for people to understand it. So here are the takeaways. Number one, here in Australia, the finance industry now acknowledges that crypto is real and are forced to be considered with. Number two, but it's still very little understanding of what crypto assets are let alone what a crypto ecosystem is. So the finance industry has very little understanding about it. They understand it's there and they acknowledge it's real, but they don't know what it is yet. Um, number three, the Australian government now feels more compelled to positively regulate uh, crypto assets. And a lot of that is because it's following the recent release from the, from the UK Treasury that says it'll plan to regulate stablecoins and even issue a Royal Mint NFT, very positive statement. And number four is that the AFR, the Australian Financial Review, which for those listening overseas, is really a little bit like the Financial Times or the Wall Street Journal of Australia, now considers the space to be an asset class worthy of reporting even through the volatility lows. And I know that because I spoke to Alex Bikovic on this, who's the wealth editor of the AFR. The AFR are committed to this as an asset class and will continue to report against it. Now, Nitin, 12 months ago, this was all <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's positive. And, and in, amidst all the things that we are seeing in Europe last week with Micah, and in US this week, again, with Gary Gensler reaching out, I think this is to me a very positive sign and a, a, a reflective of the change that's happening slowly but surely. Yes, that's right. Well, we think it's slowly but surely because we're in the space. It's kind of frustrating and we understand it. And we think, why wouldn't they adopt this immediately? It's extraordinary. But we have to realize, of course, it's legacy systems and legacy processes and legacy belief systems 
that we're having to, um, yeah, well, battle with, I guess, along the way. Um, so this has this has immediate sort of playouts and repercussions to it. And yesterday I was down in Melbourne and I did a presentation to 21 um, family offices, all in one room, um, super nice group of people. Uh, and I took them on a journey all the way from the sort of the creation of the blockchain by Scott Stonetta and Stuart Harbour. We've had Scott Stonetta on our show before and we've talked yeah. to him about the creation of the blockchain. Um, right through Bitcoin, Ethereum, and then the creation of the major sectors of layer one, two, 3.0, metaverse, you know, gaming and DeFi. And it went for nearly two hours. They didn't stop asking questions. They were absolutely intrigued about the space. 12 months ago, that wouldn't happen. 12 months ago, they'd be going, oh, this is just, this is a strange thing. It doesn't really interest us. So there's a real growth there. There was one person in the room, of course, that couldn't help but ask the question about tulips, you know, is this the same as tulips? He asked me this question about halfway through, of course, referring to the tulip boom and bust of the 1600s, I think it was. And um, and, I, and, I, and I, I couldn't help but say to him, now look, how about we wait towards the end, at which stage I'll explain the difference between a vegetable and an entire digital asset class. And, um, and he sort of smiled and said, okay. So what we're seeing is an amazing shift. 12 months, the difference between 12 months ago and now is that these major sectors are starting to say, this space is real and we want to learn about it. Where do we start? So I guess that's, that's both exciting for us and the listeners yes. because you, you know, those listeners that are listening, and you're, you're, you're not alone. There are more people joining every day in the space. And as we know, of course, that there's north of 300 million wallet holders now that are actively involved in this space. Um, and that's growing at an exponential rate. They think there's going to be over a billion in the next 12 months, or certainly users of cryptocurrency. Um, so today we're going to continue our journey, aren't we? You know, sort of each one of these amazing sectors. And and you and I were talking about talking about the metaverse and DeFi and really how the two of them are married. But I thought to begin with, maybe give us a really good explanation of what the metaverse is, including the virtual reality and the augmented reality aspect of the metaverse and what that might mean to, yeah. to users that in I'll, the future. And that's, that's a great point, Derek, because there's so much confusion. There's so much lack of uh, standardized vernacular and verbiage in the space, which creates a lot of confusion and a lot of apprehension from f newer folks who are coming into the space. There's a whole language that the crypto industry sort of has adopted, which I think is, is part of the problem is here as well. And I think it's our job to be able to simplify that. So let's start with just defining what it is and then looking into different modalities. And I have literally, as you know, even that our work we're doing in, in, in figuring the space out, which is either decomposing it, deconstructing it, understanding as to how things move in the space. So metaverse in general, uh, the original definition was sort of a virtual reality space in which the users, which is me and you, can interact with the computer-generated environment and the users in that space. And it was, of course, in the gaming context, early days. But if you were to bring this fast forward in the DLT and blockchain era, it's meta and universe. And you begin to see now different universes evolving. So you have a universe of layer one. You have DeFi universe, which is looking into financing and decentralized financing world. There's a gaming universe. There is art universe. There is music universe. So you begin to see how this is taking shape. 
And the question then becomes in terms of the meta is, at least in my definition, and how we are studying this, both in terms of how do we do business and how do we make money from metaverse, is ability for me to not only understand the valuation mechanism of these ecosystem, because every ecosystem has some ethos, they have a community behind it, is understanding what the community values. And with that understanding, ability for me to traverse the value systems and be able to move through these different universes that's evolving and either contribute or participate in that ecosystem by taking things of value from one ecosystem to another ecosystem because these are truly digital ecosystem. And, and I think we should cover this this week and you know, in terms of how do we do business in metaverse, for instance, an area of my focus, and it has been for quite some time, is financial services. I've been at this now for cost like eight, nine years in understanding DeFi and, and what gives token its value, defining different to- you know, valuation models. And what is financial services in metaverse? We see pervasive financialization of NFTs. And we have seen that in terms of this massive valuation. And which, by the way, NFT mania hasn't died down. We had NFT LA, the South by Southwest. I was in Barcelona. Um, and so it's not losing steam anytime soon. And the emergence of other asset classes, which is what you have seen in AFR, you mentioned that we have begun to now recognize crypto as a fifth asset class, which yes. traditionally the financial industry was fourth asset classes. So my focus has been, what does it mean to monetize metaverse? So I did some looking into it. I, I you know, and, and I like to break this down into some cons, you know, consumable categories of monetization, which will help our audiences sort of bring this and get our arms around it and at least come to terms with the right vernacular. And I'll provide some evidences that we have seen in the internet evolution that has changed the world as we know it. So there are three fundamental categories that I define it. The first category is commercializing protocols, which is what we all have seen in the news, which is first, there's a token-based model, which is basically what we use tokens as operation fees to write to blockchain networks. These are layer one protocols, Ethereum, Bitcoin, Avalanche, you need these tokens to do business on these networks and those token maintain incentive economic system for people to maintain systems and provide the compute power that you need, need around it. You also have something called token as medium of exchange. These are lending and selling token as a step through currency in network tokens. So for example, um, you know, you use ETH, you know, Ether, for example, which is common and Solana now for that ecosystem to say, if that in network currency, has a token which is valued because everybody has to use that to pay, which is a utility of sorts, then can I exchange that? And a perfect example again is Axie Infinity converting to Ether. Axie Infinity happened to be gaming tokens and Ether happens to be layer one tokens. There's demand for both. And as you earn Axie, you're using Ether as a step through currency to either convert the Ether into cash or convert Ether into Bitcoin. And you can see how this vision of metaverse come to reality that I'm literally taking you know, one step through asset, just like what we have seen with the US dollar in, in, in the modern financial system. Then you have the asset pair trading, uh, which is again, trading the asset pairs, BTC ETH, for example, or ETH and US dollar and BTC and US dollar. These are sort of trading pairs that financial industry has come to terms with. And then eventually the goal is to use the power of networks. So these are traditional ways of what we have seen in the industry monetize tokens, monetize protocols, monetize and build communities and, and more and more people join, there's a utility to it. And if there are enough people adopting a particular token that itself takes a form of, you know, a, a traditional definition of currencies. So that's one category, which is taking protocols, taking tokens, commercializing it. Then there's a second category, rather controversial, 
it's it's about simple token sales, a token used as a funding mechanism to fuel development. And so it can be viewed as a fundraising. And in many cases, these are definitely classical definition of security, which is a token sale with a profit expectation. And while these tokens can be viewed as in token currency or in network currency, the expectation is that they become ubiquitous. And subsequently, the ubiquity extends itself to fungibility, which is taking the status of a currency. Right. So the subcategory is NFTs, um, where the NFTs are our asset class, begin to surface as a symbol and you know and and community belief instrument, uh, valued by a sect or a subsect of community. In gaming, for instance, these are game artifacts. In ecosystems, they represent art, identity, or substrate of niche social movements. And we have seen that social movements, both in terms of supporting a forest, supporting endangered species. Uh, they have surfaced that and very, very attractive. And as we discuss, we discussed this a few weeks back is financialization of NFTs. Mm. And we have seen that with board APR clubs. We have seen, we had Charu from Unique Networks looking into punks and axes mm. and, and what, you know, we were looking into what gives these things value is financialization of NFTs to be analog to a mobile movement. And I went back to doing research to what was something we've seen before. And if you recall M-Pesa, which revolutionized the payment ecosystem in Africa, which was, again, rural areas. And I actually spent some time in understanding the space. It reached a volume of 22 million a week between, let's say, Uganda and Tanzania. Mm -hmm. This is basically with no banks, just minutes traded to move money. This is the telephone minutes and, and long distance calling minutes that you would load up in your phones. Mm -hmm. While banks salivated on this volume, eventually it ended up becoming regulated. And banks and financial institutions got in, into via telco route, which is telecommunication routes, and modality took form of actual payments. So M-Pesa, which was an instrument using minutes, eventually became so ubiquitous that banks got into it. Safaricom, which is the telecom telecommunication company, began to have banking services. And so you see how that small innovation, which is at a human grassroots level, changed the entire ecosystem. So the modality in metaverse today is represented by elements of virtual and augmented reality. So digital art, game, second life. And to me, this is what is modality. It's the underlying economics and transfer of value. And the real goal is the element that has the power to change the world. So I view, as you see, second life, which is your avatar in some sort of virtual world, and you are playing a game in that virtual world, you're interacting with your friends in that virtual world from all parts of the world. All those to me represent modality. They represent just like M-Pesa, I would like to sort of at some point question, discuss how current forms of modality that we are seeing today, whether it's gaming, whether it's avatars, shape up actual form of value transfer and payments. Uh, and the last category, so this is again, M-Pesa second category as to how we raise, raise, raise funds. The third category, and I'll stop here for a minute to get your perspective, Derek, is all tokens and forms of valued assets exposed to financial primitives. So we discussed this in the last time as well, that you have basic financial primitives. You have buying, you have selling, you have borrowing, lending, collateralization. And just like we have seen in sort of second category, banks are salivating that made roads into M-Pesa. I suspect financial institutions to make inroads into playing a role here as well. Mm. And these also include not just the traditional bank, but the de novo banks. These are new breed of digital only banks and crypto only banks. We've seen a massive growth in that last year, as you were mm. talking about experience at, at AFR. 
there's a whole new class of banks who have applied for banking licenses who don't aspire to do business in traditional sense, but would like to do business in a compliant manner. So these are de novo banks. And this will include, again, leverage financing loans and, and may you know, have metamorphs flavor to it, which implies that this could be a protocol-driven model that provides exchange, value, collateral locking, and borrowing, and glimpse of which we already see with concepts like decentralized exchanges, liquidity pools, automated market makings, NFT marketplaces, ability for me to be able to lock my NFTs and borrow against it. So I would say, Derek, that the revolution is underway, and it's up to us to understand it, participate it, and make money from it or monetize it. So I'll pause here. I know I had a long monologue. Love to get your thoughts to see if that even made sense. Mm, well, that absolutely makes sense. And so if you continue that then, and you put the base building blocks of what we've created, what has been created in, in, in the world of um, you know, currencies and non-fungible tokens and delivery of assets and then delivery of, as you say, financial primitives, um, then that's all heading somewhere because essentially they're just a set of tools. And, and unless you use those set of tools, there's not much fun in that or well, there's not much investment opportunity apart from you speculating between various asset classes etc but if you were to take that one step further and bring it into the metaverse which is what we're heading towards discussing then it seems to represent an amazing place to bring a confluence of these things together so one thing that's intriguing about this metaverse description is that it's regularly referred to as a you know with a virtual um, reality experience, but it's also an augmented reality experience. There's no reason why it can't be both. And, you know, there's a discussion about Apple releasing a set of glasses in the next 12 months, public information. Uh, Apple haven't said it. It's just a very clever fellow that analyzes all the supply chains in China has worked out what they're building when, when he expects it to be released. And this is a set of very high powered augmented reality glasses and virtual reality glasses. So, if you could have these glasses and normally see if they're a prescription, um, you know, there are sunglasses otherwise, but as you walk down a street, you can look into a physical shop or determine an office building floor level um, and who's on it. You're starting to merge reality to a virtual reality. And if you're doing that, then you should be able to merge traditional finance with decentralized finance. And you should be able to create an environment where people not just live and play, but live, play, borrow money, buy things, lend money. That's right. Is that where we're heading? I think so. So you talk about virtual reality. If you remember Google Glass, uh, guys, uh, this yes. is the Google Glass. And this is, of course, ancient in today's context. There's so much more advanced stuff. But I, I, I actually acquired these. They were quite expensive back mm. in the day, just to understand the ecosystem. And you know what? I wore it. I had GPS I, as long as I had network connectivity, which I tethered to my phone, uh, which today I, you would not use it, but I would just wear this and drive it. And this way you could take pictures, you could do amazing things. It's a very yes. low power device, of course, but this is like a super interesting experience, enamored with what technology could do. Of course, now things are much more advanced. This is just a matter of four or five plus years that this yes. came into existence. Yeah. But to answer your question, Derek, absolutely, right? In the sense that, we are going towards a digital handshake, a digital interaction, digital contracts, digital way to move. And that's what I mean by modality, which means that if you look at some of the headlines we've seen in the past, uh, JPMC opened a lobby 
in Metaverse or Barbados is opening an embassy in Metaverse. And my question to them is, we don't need that. We yeah. don't need a virtual a, a place to do business. If you can allow me to obtain a digital visa through this metaversical element that I'm able to come into the lobby and be able to present my ID as NFT and the ID is verified, validated through the ecosystem. And I don't need to have a, a virtual lobby to go. I should be able to apply that through a digital handshake, through a smart contract and be able to receive, which means that you know, you could provide government as a service, which is what Estonia, if you remember, tried to do that. So you could have, I, I'm an e-citizen of Estonia, in which Estonia allowed you to have identity as a primary sort of token um, on blockchain and allowed you to be able to then apply for banking services, apply you to, and I did open a bank account. I opened a business without actually visiting Estonia. And after my identity was verified, I used that identity as a representation of who I am in a virtual world and be able to open all these services of course, it had clinks to it because I had to then connect this interesting systems and banks have to be equipped to recognize that identity. But that's exactly what I'm talking about is that AR, VR, they only represent form factors and modalities of how we interact with the system. So you could interact with, in this virtual world, you're walking around and you are identity, your avatar represents Derek and Derek has embedded identity into it. And the avatar decides to go and buy and sell things and take in, in its wallet the swords that you know i'm not a gamer i always use this example i don't even know what sword means <laughs> anyway but the thing is <laughs> if, if the sword is a prize sword i go through the various digital ecosystems and i buy and sell these and i could do this through traditional wallets that i have like what we do, do with metamask or i could represent the same thing through ar vr modalities and interact with the virtual world which gives it a bit more real shape to it but conceptually, it is all about asset transfers from one universe to another universe and figuring out the translation mechanisms, the interoperability between these disparate technology sets, the different value system. I think that is a bigger challenge in this space. And so you're 100% right on that. And I think uh, that unlocks tremendous amount of value, not just for the banked assets, which is the traditional assets that banks recognize, which is your home and your car and your loans and your equity, but non-bankable asset, which is your reputation, your gaming, your patents, your other things that generally cannot be monetized in the space. I'll stop here, Derek, to see if that makes mm. sense. But there are challenges. It is not all, it is the vision that we have, but there are all kinds of hurdles that I'd love to at some point talk about um, that, needs to be, that needs to overcome for us to truly unlock the value of the world that we are envisioning. But what is so important here for the skeptics or the non-gamers is that um, is the metaverse and what can be created there, how much virtual, how much augmented it is, is just not about games. It's not about swords. It's not about a quiver full of arrows and whether you've bought or sold those. Um, it could be about serious business. Um, doing business at an individual level, which is where this merger of 3.0 comes in and we talked about earlier on. Um, we'll get to that in a moment maybe, but doing business at an individual level in an environment which is virtual um, with anybody anywhere in the world at any time um, with no boundaries cultural or otherwise that stand between you that is um, not currently in existence and that's very powerful and, it is and that not. brings me to the the web 3.0 maybe you could merge this in because you know, web 3.0 at the end of the day you know is is about um you know a decentralized and, and a distributed web where, um, where one generates income for their efforts, as we discussed in the last show. Yeah. 
Well, what's the difference between that and a, a metaverse? Or is the metaverse got Web 3.0 in it? Or is the merger yeah, yeah. seamless? So to, to me, I, I, as I layer these things, and oftentimes we do, do layering in tech, it's very common practice in technology industries to understand stacking. the interaction, stacking and layering. And I see Web 3.0 as enabling technology. In fact, I think I include blockchain in the Web 3.0 as a set of enabling technologies that enables the metaverse on top. And metaverse then enables applications so DeFi gaming uh, data and, and all these are sort of application layer stuff, which runs on Metaverse, which runs on Web3.0 and, and, and all Metaverse is supposed to provide the in, is interoperability and modalities that allows yes. you to be able to go from one ecosystem to another ecosystem. Yes. So Web3.0 in general um, is used in conjunction with Metaverse, but the idea is that it is empowering users. So giving you the control of your own data, your own sort of post and we discussed this in the last, last element. And I think they're intertwined, right? Web3.0 as technology sets allows for people to bring their talent, their time, their resources to this ecosystem and they get to monetize it. So that we also, I think in one of the uh, podcasts, we talked about the future of work, the ability for you to post a job and have the best people compete for the job. Like Git, you know, Gitcoin does exactly that in, in development community is you post a job, people go and take the job and you know, you are guaranteed good output because you're not going to get paid if your job is shoddy. So you're only attracting good talent and not some some guy who can who can fib on his resume and 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 sweet talk his way through a, a job process. And so I think uh, that essentially is enabling and empowering end users, and eventually that leads to uh, allowing for non-bankable assets, allowing for the things that traditionally cannot be monetized. So, for example, can I not monetize myself? And I actually filed a patent on this a while back where um, can I not borrow on my own reconnaissance that Nitin, who's educated, who has a job, I see your interaction, I see the contribution that you make to societies. Can I not use that history as opposed to purely a credit history, which is on some uh, you know, uh, ancient yes. model that gives you a number, a random number that determines the fate of your ability to borrow and, yes. and take advantage of the financial system. Can I not expose my transactions and make it transparent and allow people to see it borrow whether it's my health condition or whether it's something that i that i have and someone somewhere finds that attractive and and allows me to lend against that asset whether it's my health history whether it's my future earning potential whether it's the what i write what i podcast and, and whatever the case maybe you say i'm going to invest in this individual so <clears throat> that is something which i think is the ethos of vc community which i think is becoming more and more ubiquitous in the web3 world not, not to men, not to discount the challenges that we are going through, and <clears throat> at some point. So I, you're you're absolutely right. To me, that uh, the the token NFT you know element is nothing but something that can can quantify a value. But yes. at the end of the day, these are running on different universes, and that's essentially powered by a collective set of technologies called Web three O technologies and DLT. So let's, talk about, and let's talk about that for a moment. So you know we've come from the world of Web two um, and we've also come from a world where Web 2.0 in many ways simply reflects the way we've done business in the past. And that is the bigger get bigger and the smaller get eaten and the giants dominate. You know, it's, it, it's, it sounds like the hierarchy of fish in the ocean. Um, and so, so one might be fooled to think that's the way it will always be. And so... Apple, of course, have decided to change their name to Meta for some reason. It must be something it's to Facebook. do with the Metaverse. So Facebook. Facebook, thanks, mate. Yeah. Um, Facebook has decided to do that. Word has it 
that Apple has been working on this area for the last five years. They're well ahead of, of Facebook and hence the glasses discussion that we had earlier on. And so, you know, it also has it that, that what we're seeing with the metaverse now with little men walking around like that and words coming across the top of them and things like this, which is the early metaverse, you know, it is kind of virtually a giggle in comparison to what Apple might bring out. Okay, so that's kind of exciting. But at the same time, you know, we'd like a world where we can go out into a metaverse and do business and no one's taking a cut of our action. Um, or if they are, it's so small as to be irrelevant. Do you think in this web 3.0 area, this decentralized um, and, and, and distrib distributed environment that the blockchain is providing, that it's going to provide many suppliers the opportunity to compete with a giant like Facebook and Meta, um, or like Apple and some of their brilliant technologies they're developing. No, no, absolutely. And I, I'll tell you this, though. I think if you look at, um, just like internet created all these new jobs, all these new sort of, you know, economy exploded, I expect a similar level of explosion, if not bigger explosion, in terms of the same elements of the different players and ecosystems. So while Apple may have a great headset, for entering into metaverse or entering into virtual reality where I can conduct business, um, which is needed nonetheless, that you need hardware manufacturers to manufacture these things and you need some entry point a portal of sorts, which is what Meta may provide. I think the value of the human interaction, and we've seen that again with the positives of Arab Spring and ability for humans to connect around the world and, and bring mm. knowledge to, a, to an ability to share knowledge and, and, and grow from it as a human race, I think that the value of the human interaction into ability to do commerce on a global scale is much, much more bigger and exponential than Apple sending a headset. So while there's a value in it, and Apple may monetize this to a certain extent, and they could be newer players who are saying that, hey, if this is a decentralized world, why do I have need to buy Apple's headset? Because it's no longer an Apple store. It's no longer Apple ecosystem. Those are all Web2 constructs. Can I not buy and support somebody who has the ability to make these things because the underlying infrastructure, the underlying constructs of who are providing what services is now in the power of me and you and any, any set of talented individuals who can bring that to bear. So the notion of platforms is changing. And so while there are hardware providers and there are entry points, like for example, I could take my Facebook ID and sign into Metaverse, those are entry points. But the interaction, for example, if I have a smart contract and the smart contract provides certain value, let's say it provides value in tokenizing portal asset management funds. Well, I think ability for anybody to use a VR asset to come in there and shake hands and be able to verify the identity, identity may come from Facebook, for example, uh, all those are constructs. But the value of ability for me to do this in terms of tokenizing funds and be able to sell financial instruments is, you know, the value of that is much larger, in my opinion, than the, again, the, the constructs of modalities the headsets, the, the, the entry points and everything else, that's needed too. So you see there's a whole growth in the new economic system that's emerging. No longer I need to have a store, no longer I need to have a, a large building. I can, I can provide yes. all those services in a digital form factor uh, with repudiation and, and, and with, uh, you know, with some level of uh, guarantees built into it. And, and so, you know, as you say, there's going to be um, a variety of physical requirements that are going to make a, a real difference to this and, go, and they're going to be glasses and Apple's likely to make the best of them. 
um, because you know they, they make very high power, very efficient processes, yeah. et cetera. Um, but at the same time, of course, Apple is producing the platform. They're producing the environment. They're, they're actually, the glasses are just kind of like a sideshow um, of how to access that main platform. Um, you know, Word has it. Um, and so that being the case, they're going to probably produce a very beautiful platform. So I think what's going to happen is we're going to see um, this, this battle between traditional Web 2.0 environments, which is, which is um, a very nice environment, but it's somewhat controlled, possibly. Um, or maybe they've, they've arrived at an enlightened moment and they'll create the platform and it won't be controlled um, and it'll be open platform, um, or simply the development of these open platforms. Whichever way it is, of course, there's going to be a battle between one and the other. And I'm with you. I think ultimately it's going to be, um, you know, the open and free platforms that drop all the global boundaries down from around the world and let everyone get in and trade on it will make the difference. And, and it'll be the one that, that should win out. Or maybe I'm just too utopian about the whole thing. No, no, no. I think so. The, the, so one reason, I, you know, you're spot on, Derek, in the sense that the reason why Meta, which was also known as Facebook, didn't <laughs> succeed with Libra and DM and other projects, including the hurdles they're getting with, is because of the fact that they lack trust. None of us really trust yes. the platform. Yes, yes. And so I think the fact that you're a centralized platform and, and including the Web3.0 space, you find many projects who, whose founders have been tainted because they have done some nefarious activities. And, and, and yes. so there's a whole notion of trust. And the fact that because these systems are transparent systems, the community is not very forgiving. They are punishing. They understand these projects. They understand the founders behind it. And if there's in the event of nefarious activities and people, you know, being, being cheated off the savings and, and, and protocols not doing what they were purported to do. Uh, and I think the same level of backlash you will see even for Web 2.0 companies who try to get in the Web 3.0 world. So in this case, whether it's Meta or whether it's Apple, there are rules of engagement in Web 3.0. So you could be a biggest company, but if the Web 3.0, which is truly democratizing sort of access and democratizing data, democratizing, you know, giving you the ability to be able to monetize your own talents, um, which means Apple is at level playing field with me as a common individual. Yes. And the question then becomes what value I provide, what services I provide. And it's quite possible that all Apple would do in that case is sell its headsets and its ecosystem may not be as ubiquitous as let's say a decentralized exchange because decentralized exchange is driven by a community and they understand the rules better than Apple does because Apple's app, app store was one of the, you know, one of the sort of key enablers for their growth That's because right. it is a centralized system. And so there and are very, these- very much a web point, web point 2.0 environment, of course. Um, you know, that centralized environment where control is and creativity is, and it's generated with the return of Apple being nearly a trillion dollar company. Right. And back in the day, if you remember, like even working for IBM uh, at the time and a lot of hardware companies, Dell, they started using eBay to sell their products. Even eBay was an auction site, if you remember yes. back in the day, yes. because yes. they found a channel in that avenue and not exactly hugely successful because eBay was really meant for a different sort of sect of people. And eventually it morphed into more enterprise-esque ability for people to buy the laptops and ability for people to be able to buy their hardware and so on and so forth. So you see how a traditional Web 1.0 company or traditional manufacturing company used a Web 2.0 modality to create another sales channel. And I expect that any of the tech companies and Web 2.0 companies will do exactly the same with the Web 3.0 as a channel. The question is, are they 
adhering to some of the tenants of Web3.0, or are they trying to introduce the Web2.0 tenants in Web3.0 and that could, that could be a clash just in, in concept and in, in, in terms of some of the ethos of Web3.0 in terms of who are these people and, and do should we trust them? And I think mm. uh, to me, uh, you know, Meta is an amazing test case to see if people really trust, trust Meta. So no matter what Meta comes out with, it'll face the same level of resistance, in my opinion, that their Libra, the stablecoin did back in the day. Yeah. So one last thing before you know, mm. we wrap it up is some implication and challenges to this model, right? The, the various categories that was described and the, the world we both envisioned, Derek, and I'm hoping our audiences are with this, is few things. I see three challenges. One is regulation compliance. Interesting week. Um, you know, I think that um, you know, what used to be regulatory arbitrage is now a regulatory hodgepodge of band-aids. It's just a mess. I mean, I, I seriously think some of us should dedicate some capacity to help craft a relevant and fair structure and framework for regulators because they keep going back and forth between what they pass and what they're opining on punishing that ecosystem. Second thing I think is technology and protocol risk. And this is especially on interoperability and identity. If we want metaverse to go beyond modality, and have an interchangeable mixed bag of digital assets. We need to be interoperable across various networks, have a universal ID transaction can, that can be seamless to process with non-repudiation. So I should be able to go anywhere else, prove it's me, not be able to say, hey, my identity was stolen. And this will also incidentally help the regulatory simplicity only because of KYC, AML requirements and everything else. So to, to, to be this sort of bigger, technology you know, impediment that I see, we have seen vulnerability with Wormhole, Ronin Network recently, and other, other things like Poly Networks, that mostly the bridging protocols that attempt to move asset from one homogenous network to another homogenous network uh, has been a true, true challenge in my opinion. So I still have hope uh, with recent projects like Layer Zero and Pocket Networks uh, are some of the attempts to revisit and redefine interoperability, which incidentally also is a major building block of Web3.0. Right, so yeah. you see as to how tokens, crypto, NFTs, metaverse, and Web3.0 are so intertwined. And I'll say one last thing uh, is talent. Industry has a massive shortage of talent, uh, technologists, token economists, business leaders, to create a team that can stay in one place, build and maintain, improvise on a project. It's a huge issue, Derek. I mean, you have more money chasing less talent, less projects, which is never a good thing, and which I think uh, you know, should be a good balance to attract talent and incentivize to develop and retain and commit the right people. So to me, these three are impediments that we as an industry should look into as well. So I'll pause here. I know we are way over time, but but I think- Yeah, we're over time because I've got another dozen questions that I'd love to go through. <laughs> um, but I'll tell you what we will do. Um, firstly, next week, we're gonna be speaking with Bill Gray and he works with a group oh, called, called um, GOAT.io. Um, and, and they're sort of like, they're like the Uber of gaming. So you can, you know, you can move your, your, your NFTs around with them. They can fund NFTs. They can do all sorts of things. So Web 3.0. And, and so it's perfect for that continued conversation. But maybe the week after that, we might discuss, you know, examples of metaverses and what the business models are within them. Within the metaverse itself, why would you build a metaverse? Where's the business model in that? And, and I think that might give context to some of us more traditional, I said us then, but <laughs> I met some of the more <laughs> traditional um, investors in this space, like, oh, that's great, but where do you make money? And there's no question you create an environment like a metaverse, you're going to generate income out of it. 
Um, but then within that income, within that environment, there'll be a lot of other business getting done. And there'll be business models operating within those business models that are generating income too. Um, so, so lots to talk about. Let's let's continue metaverse in a couple of weeks' time, sure. uh, because I think this is a really strong um, uh, topic area. Um, and for now, thank you very much, like normal, and always great to chat and throw ideas around with you. Um, delighted to be able to share that uh, I think Australia has jumped a great deal in the last twelve months in this That's space. That's fantastic, and and I can see it jumping a great deal more in the next twelve months too. Um, yeah. Good on you, Nitin. And thank you, Derek. And enjoy your evening in Sydney. And uh, thanks again. Talk to you yeah. next week. Good on Bye. you. See you, mate. We hope you enjoyed our weekly conversation. If you have any questions, comments, or suggested topics, please feel free to connect with either Nitin or myself on Nitin at portal.am or Derek at portal.am. Feel free to subscribe and share with like-minded friends. Stay well, inquisitive, and engaged. See you next week. Bye for now.